Hello fam, this is Ro and you're listening to Sick of Being Sick. Please follow, like, subscribe or do whatever it is that your app does to listen to our upcoming episodes. Hello, thank you for tuning in to episode 5. For this one we're exploring the topic of grief. Not necessarily paired to the context of losing a loved one, but more so um, how we feel grief throughout life in other life events. In this specific one, when you're giving a diagnosis um, that you're not expecting and how you might be grieving, you know, the life that you had pre um, getting that diagnosis. The first time I kind of actually made myself aware of the concept of grief outside of death was during the pandemic. And this was through a podcast episode from Brene Brown, which I'll link in the episode description. But she talks all about how, you know, we were all grieving during COVID uh, at the hit of the pandemic, how we weren't going to go back to the lives that we had pre-pandemic. So after listening to that episode, I've really carried that conversation with me throughout this you know, the start of this diagnosis and starting to processing what I'm going through. Um, and for this, I, since I'm not an expert myself and I didn't feel like just me blabbering about this topic was enough, I wanted to bring somebody who is really important to me to talk about this. His name is James. He's a grief supporter coach and um, he is extremely passionate about this topic as he's you know, been navigating life alongside grief uh, for about 23 years after suddenly losing his older sister, Catherine, when she was hit by a car walking across the road in London. And recently he has made it his uh, life mission to bridge the gap between grievers and their surrounding loved ones. In this episode, we talk all about, you know, getting from the basics, definition of grief, definition of griever and supporter, how we are going to be referring to those. We talk about, you know, some tips on how supporters can best support grievers and um, vice versa, as well as culturally, why are we so unaware of the concept of grief or why are we so bad at addressing it? Hello, James. Thank you so much for joining us today at Sake of Being Sick. I am so excited to take your podcast, Virginity. This is your first podcast. <laughs> Before we kick it off, I want to start by really setting the ground with some clear definitions around grief, um, grievers and supporters. And um, so we have some clear definitions before we go into deeper topics. If you want to start by giving your definition around grief. Um, so grief is actually a set of experiences that involves the perceived loss that someone has around potentially losing someone, um, losing a future situation that they imagined, a breakup, um, an event, anything that creates some form of loss that we have to process. And it's how we react and respond to the world around this new situation. Um, it's a totally normal and natural response to a loss. And if we're thinking about the way that we were taught about grief, we're often taught that it is just involves a death event or the death of a loved one. Um, but it actually encompasses a whole series of losses um, and a series of changes. Um, so it's really about how we integrate this into our day-to-day -day functioning. And that can be very challenging. 
And how would you then define the griever? Well, I guess as the person who is experiencing that given grief. Um, and I know we're also going to talk about the supporting side of it and how to best support um, grievers. So how would you define that group of people as supporters? Um, so a griever is the person that is experiencing the significant loss in their life. Um, and the supporters are anyone around them uh, that are invested in their lives. So this could be close friends, close family, partners. Um, but this also could be people in support groups or therapists. But basically anyone that is there to potentially help them navigate this loss, um, that is what we would consider a supporter. Um, I guess you've mentioned, you know, the different types of events where um, we can feel grief, a breakup, the loss of somebody in my specific case is kind of that, you know, grieving the past row pre-cancer diagnosis. Um, could you please also talk to us about, you know, the different types of emotions that come? Like, how do you know you're feeling grief? How do you, can, can, how can you identify that that's the feeling that you're going through so that you can best look for support systems around it? Yeah, so grief can be present during any time of change, positive or negative. You know, in terms of even our happiest moments, we can grieve our childhood when we graduate from school, right? So it's, it, it, it's as wide ranging as that. Um, But grief is really a container that holds all the emotions felt as a result of the loss. So it really encompasses the entire spectrum of the human experience. Um, so that's what's really interesting about grief. And part of what's so understood is like many people equate grief with sadness. But it's so much more than sadness. It can be a combination of emotions such as anger. Guilt is a really common one. Joy relief like you could think of some complicated situations where someone may have had a difficult relationship with someone or someone was very unwell for a very long time there could be elements of relief and this can be really challenging so a lot of the different types of emotions that can come up can be really hard for people to understand and people can often feel that they're doing it wrong but the reality is no matter what emotions come up or what your response is you are doing it right. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. Everyone is unique. And we need to create an environment that people feel really confident that, oh, wow, I'm feeling angry. I'm fearful of my future. I'm feeling numb. I feel nothing at all. These are all the different types of responses that can come out of grief. So it's a little bit difficult to say, how do I know I'm going through grief based on emotions? Because it's such a wide range of emotions. But it is really anything that comes as a result of a loss. So that's what grief is. That is so interesting because I always have thought of it as like, you know, having negative emotions attached to it, mm -hmm. you know, being upset about not having something or having lost somebody or like what something could have been or things like that. But the yep. idea of positive feelings, can you give me like a scenario where positive feelings might, you know, come up? Yeah, so I have actually spoken to several people that part of their challenge in grieving was that they actually had some levels of relief and happiness. And um, an example would be maybe you had a really challenging relationship with your stepfather or someone in your family um, and they died. And although this is combined with feelings of sadness and 
Um, and guilt is often one that comes after feeling happy. Um, but having the relief of having that person no longer in your life and in your space can be super, super complicated. Um, but it's the reality. It's the yeah. truth of your story, right? Yeah. Um, so that's an example of, uh, of, 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 of the other side of grief. That makes sense. Cool. So I guess this kind of touches on the emotional side of it, but it would be super interesting to also hear how it can physically manifest, you know, in the body, um, the feeling of grief. Grief is a whole body experience. Um, so there's a whole wide range of physical effects. Um, it can affect your sleep patterns, digestion issues. You may not feel like you want to eat anymore. Um, back pain. You may be absolutely exhausted um that is a very common one like you can't get out of bed you might gain weight um aches and pain you might start forgetting things so people have um a lot of loss of memory and kind of feel like their life is being seen through a movie and they get a lot of short-term memory loss a really interesting story that i heard during my interviews um was that someone that lost her father Uh, reacted by avoiding the emotions entirely and actually made herself really, really busy. But then she ended up having another loss in her life of a best friend um, and her back gave way. She could not walk for a week. Wow. So it manifested in her body. And that was one of the main reactions was her body basically told her, you are not going anywhere until you process this. So it was almost like a double whammy. That is, that's, that's wild. It's also so crazy. And I guess like also for people who are going through sickness, um, like me, you know, um, at the early stage of getting my diagnosis, I felt like I was grieving, at least from the emotional side of it, um, that, um, I was grieving the pre-row of, you know, before this shitty diagnosis, but, um, saying all these things that also physically manifest, I can also relate to them so much, like not being able to sleep and like not wanting to eat. Um, but you, when you're sick, you kind of combine it with so many other things that you have no idea whether it's mm -hmm. one thing or the other. So it's just so interesting how it can really, you know, affect your body in that way. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that, um, you were having some short term memory loss. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to touch on that. That's a good point. Yeah. So, Um, I was telling you earlier about chemo brain. If you are a cancer patient listening to this podcast, you're hundred percent familiar with the term, but for those of you who don't know, chemo brain is kind of, um, it's a combination of different physical and mental, um, sort of, um, effects that chemo can have on you. And it happens to people during chemo and after chemo. And one of the main things that this includes is like short-term memory loss and kind of speaking and then being like, oh, what was I about to say? And I know that happens to the average person a lot, I'm sure, but chemo is just something that adds on to it. Um, so it's, it's a great point that you bring that up because yeah, is it like, is it chemo? Is it that I'm grieving or is it that I have a, I had a brain tumor and it's growing? Like it's literally everything together. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so it, it's interesting that it can manifest in physically so Um, intensely and that that person you know was forced to face it due to just physical manifestation of grief in her body mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there is a lot going on, Ro. Um, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint where all these aspects come from. But as mentioned, there are a lot of physical reactions you can have to grieving. And then, of course, to your treatments as well. So I imagine it's probably a combination of all of it. And, um, and something else I just wanted to touch on really quickly in terms of helping people understand grief is secondary grief is something that's really important for us to cover. And these are the more tangible changes that people go through after a grief reaction. So we have that initial event, so a diagnosis or um, you know the series of, of bad or worrying news that you get throughout this process or the news of losing someone, right? So that's what a lot of people focus on. But it's actually um, very common that the secondary losses can become the emergent needs um, and can have a really severe impact. And what I mean by secondary losses is, let's say that um, a family loses their main breadwinner. There can be huge mm -hmm. financial impacts on a family and the loved ones left behind. That they're mm -hmm. scrambling to figure out how they're going to put food on the table. Um, a lot of people have secondary losses with their faith by losing someone or by receiving a diagnosis. It can feel like, what God would do this? The, yeah. the, the faith that I've, le I've lent on for my entire life no longer seems tangible. And that can be a really important part of someone's life, right? Um, Self-identity. So I I've heard you mention um, old row, Right. And feeling the loss of old old row and the aspects or the uh, you know uh, the aspects that you had as a person, right? So that can be a secondary loss. And another one is within your community. So if people aren't showing up and they don't know how to handle your your loss or know how to handle you anymore, um, then you can feel really really alone and really isolated. So you're actually feeling like you're losing the people around you. And your friends become absent and people start running away from you. Like, that is so challenging. So the secondary losses are really, really important for people to understand because it is a snowball effect after that initial event. So interesting. I'm thinking of so many secondary losses as you're speaking about this, like mm. social life through like going through treatment, yep. dating during cancer. That's, a, yep. you know, like the, all of those things are work, of course, money, friendships, yeah, everything included. That is um, so interesting. Well, now that we have the foundations down, um, why are we so shit at talking about grief? <laughs> And why is culture really just not, you know, good about facing it and um, talking to one another about it. So this problem of being ineffective at supporting is so deep rooted that we're actually culturally conditioned to respond in the totally wrong way. Think about that. Like we have <laughs> actually been taught to respond the wrong way. So there is so much unlearning to do in this process that it can be pretty tough to show up. And once you understand, you can see that, it becomes clear that we don't actually have to be this way. And a lot of the work is to break out of this conditioning. So our inability to show up is actually not a natural response to being human. Um, and I just want to point that out, that it's not your fault that you're bad at this. 
So for those listening that know that they could do better, please don't be down on yourself about it. We are all conditioned by our society, our Western society, I'll say, assuming many people are listening from the West. Mm-hmm. Um, we, are, we have all been pushed into the wrong direction here. So some examples of the way that our culture responds badly is like our default is to instantly try to cheer someone up. The story that we've been told is people aren't allowed to be sad. If they continue to be sad, they're doing it wrong. There's something wrong that we need to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and when we see pain, we see it as a problem that needs to be fixed. We live in a big fix-it culture. And the major issue with this story is that grief is not a problem. Grief is a natural response to loss. Grief is an expression of love. Like, mm-hmm. grief is a beautiful, beautiful part of our lives. It can be very, very difficult. But thank God we can grieve because we can love so intensely to grieve. You know, you, like, you cannot bring back the loved one we lost, for example. We cannot bring back your diagnosis news. The situation is shitty. And as grievers, we'd prefer if you were able to acknowledge that, right? Rather than try and tell us, Oh, look on the bright side. Oh, it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. La da 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 da. Um, you know what? What's actually happening here is we're making this about ourselves. We don't mean to. This is part of the cultural conditioning. But when you get this information into your head and you start learning this, then it becomes your responsibility to change this. So I will say that after I've said, mm-hmm. don't feel bad. <laughs> Look more into this. <laughs> um, because once you understand that when you're saying, uh, we call them like platitudes, right? These kind of empty statements that just aren't realistic. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all God's plan. Oh, <laughs> At least you can have a boyfriend after you get better. You're like, the the at least is so bad, right? Yeah. Um, We're actually making it about ourselves. We're denying our connection to that person because their reality is something that we don't want to feel connected to. If I meet someone who's lost their mother, I'm obsessed with my mother. I think about losing my mother all the time. It's easier for me to maybe say, oh, it's all it's all going to get better. Oh, you've probably learned so much from this experience, la di da di da because I'm actually trying to convince myself that that's the reality, that the reality is not that bad. But life can actually just be really random. Ro, you did nothing to deserve your diagnosis, but we like to latch on to feelings that there has to be a reason for things. Oh, um, I lost my sister maybe because my mum was being irresponsible or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like making up a situation. My mum yeah. wasn't even there. But yeah. um, people like to feel like there's karma to things. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ro, you did this and this and this. You had some cigarettes, blah, 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 blah. And that explains why this happened, right? That yeah. actually makes us feel more comfortable. And... Yeah, this is actually all about self-comfort and it's becoming about you. And this is not the time to be focusing on yourself. It's so interesting. But yeah, I kind of want to touch on everything that you've just chatted about and break down three different groups of people that have kind of, since 
I was in the hospital, I kind of started to identify. I'm, I'm a strategist. I put things in patterns and I like to, you know, put things in groups. And threes are a strategy's, you know, dream. Three so, is a great number. Exactly. Everything works in threes. So the the first group is those that um, I have thought so much about them and have been completely silent, haven't reached out, haven't said a single word about my situation. And I know they're looking at my stories. They know something's going on. <laughs> um, yep. The other group is the group of people who um, are, you know, as you were saying, super like positive or optimistic about it. You know, like it's going to be great. You know, at least they could remove the tumor. You know, there's people who have brain tumors that are so deep in that they can't remove them mm -hmm. you know at least it's they were able to do that don't get ahead of yourself blah blah blah. and then there's the third group who is the person who's more like fuck row this sucks and it's it's the diagnosis and it's a shitty one and we have to be realistic about what the prognosis of the future might look like but i'm here if you need anything talk to me as you know help me help you beautiful um, amazing so uh, I, I'm, I'm i'm happy to hear that you have some people in that third group because a lot of us don't right and what i'll say about group number one and two so saying nothing at all oof, that is really one of the worst things you can do in terms of supporting a griever and um we can get onto that in a little bit but i just mm -hmm. want to say that they're feeling really uncomfortable they know what's happening They can see your stories. They can talk with their friends, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at, at least people that are closer to you, mm -hmm. they know what's happening. Um, but uh, to have some compassion for their experience, this is part of that cultural conditioning, is they don't know what to do with your pain. A lot of people feel worried that they cannot do anything to make it better. That's just a fact. They can't do anything to make it better, mm -hmm. right? They can't fix this problem. Um, but the wrong response to that is because there's nothing I can do to fix this, I'm going to do nothing at all, right? And that actually makes you feel really alienated and abandoned. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not a great response. The forced positivity is back to those platitudes, right? So that's the people that feel confident enough to say something um, but are trying to deny their connection to your reality, are trying to make themselves feel better. And again, listeners, I'm saying these things <laughs> without pointing at you and saying, how dare you? This is what most of us are like. Yeah. This is really, really common. So yeah. um, the first part is pointing this stuff out, right? Yeah. And also and like then, being, oh, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but also yeah. being on the other end, like I say that now I have people who say nothing, but there's been so many times that I've had you know, close family friends that have lost somebody. My mom is like, send them a message. And I'm like, fuck, like, what do I even say? And I'll say yes. nothing. So like, I yes. have been there myself. So it's, it yes. is exactly what you're saying. Like it's, there's no, yes. we're conditioned for this. There's no wrong in not doing that. And there's no grudges. There's no textbook for this stuff. Yeah. In, there's no textbook in our culture for um, how to support a griever. And there's no textbook to how to grieve. Right. Mm -hmm. So both of us are coming from the same world. So you totally get it as well. It it feels weird and icky to talk about these things. And um a, a, a an admirable goal is to is to create a culture that's different from that, right? But um just to jump back into the three groups, 
um, the realistic group, that's fantastic, right? Is grievers want acknowledgement. You know that your situation is not what you want your situation to be right now. It is a difficult situation. There's not, we're not going to sugarcoat the fact that you have been diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say, I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to acknowledge your pain. That sounds really hard. And I'm here to help you. Um, so group three are on the right track for actually showing up for you. Yeah. And I love like, there, I've had so many messages on, you know, saying like, I have no idea what to say and I can't even yes. imagine what you're going through. And those are be the honest. best, you know what I mean? Like the honesty of like, I have no idea what to say. This makes me so uncomfortable to even message you, but just know I'm here if there's any way I can help you. I guess going into that, I get that question asked so much about, you know, how can I help you? And I myself yeah. as a griever, I have never, you know, I have no idea ever how to like communicate what I can do. Do you have some tips on, you know, what grievers can also do to best communicate with those who do want support and yeah. to support um, them through the process? So for supporters listening, this is a really common default is to let me know if you need anything. And Ro, as you just really beautifully mentioned, that's not helpful. We, like A lot of grievers have a really hard time computing what they need. And we also live in a culture where we oftentimes feel really uncomfortable asking for things, right? So um, what I suggest for supporters is to have much more tangible, concrete um, help to offer. So, hey, I'm going to pick up the kids today, right? Stuff like that. Um, and also checking in with you, a really great way to approach, this is something I, I, I learned from um, a course I took, was I'm going to offer some things. Let me know if that's something that you would like. So I would love to come over and cook for your children today. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, tomorrow I have a laundry service coming to do wash and fold. All you need to do is have your laundry in a bag ready at this time. Mm-hmm. Like these are things that grievers would never have thought to ask, but they're the most helpful. So um, I just want to kind of bring in that pretext of like, if you're saying, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, that often is not really what a griever needs and is a little bit too much for a griever to compute. Now, back to your question. So what can you as a griever um, do to actually find better support? Something, uh, so from Megan Devine, she uh, mentioned this on a call I actually was on this week, um, is identify who is right and wrong for different types of support. So don't go to the furniture store looking for milk and then get mad that they don't have milk. That was something that, <laughs> that, was, that was great. Like it doesn't mean that your needs are wrong. Your needs are not wrong. But you may need to look elsewhere to get those needs met. So accepting that not everyone is right for what you need or meeting particular types of needs. So that's an important thing to consider. Um, And then in terms of communication. So before I mention this, please do understand it is not your job as a griever to course correct the people around you. It is totally fair if you do not have the ability to do this. Mm -hmm. But if you do have the capacity to communicate with others, um, 
communicating how you feel by their actions can be really, really helpful. So um, for some of those maybe closer friends that haven't said anything, you could say, it feels really weird to me that you haven't acknowledged my diagnosis. Mm. Is there a reason you haven't brought this up? So that can feel pretty uncomfortable, well, but yeah. it's being honest and it's communicating to them that what they're doing right now is not helpful. It's not you saying you need to do this and this. It is if you have the strength to communicate that, then that can be incredibly helpful for people. And, you know, for those that really do care about your well-being, they need to be able to hear this type of information if what they're doing is actually hurting you because that's not mm -hmm. their intention. So that's why hopefully people around you would be able to receive that type of information. Um, and just on the topic of identifying who's right and wrong for you and the different mm -hmm. types of support, sometimes finding support groups can be really helpful if your family and friends are oh, meeting yeah. your particular needs. Again, yeah. your needs are not wrong. So sometimes the greatest supporters can actually be through other grievers, other mm -hmm. cancer survivors, other patients mm -hmm. that may understand your situation better. Yeah, 100%. And I think in the cancer community, that is extremely relatable because as much as your family wants to help you, as much as your friends want to be there for you, you're the one who is sick. And it's so, you know, it's it's really hard for others in your circle, unless they're actually going through cancer, to relate to what you're going through. So. Yeah support groups, cancer support groups, social media has been an amazing place to be able to, you know, at least for me to engage with yeah. others. The reason I started this, this podcast was to create a platform for other young adults to be able to find other young adults that might be going through something similar because I couldn't find myself yeah. somebody who was going through something similar. So mm -hmm. I think that that is, of, of course, um, always a really good avenue to go down to. Um, if you don't have it so close to you, go to, you know. And there's, there's um, the constant fear that I have on the daily is the fear of regrowth and that is just something that my family cannot understand not a single friend that can understand and right. it's so good to have you know cancer friends that I can message and be like today fucking sucks I'm terrified mm -hmm. I'm feeling this you know I'm new to this world what have you done in the past that's helped you to kind of like you know get your mind of these things yeah, um beautiful it's, a, it's fantastic for you to find those resources. And I've been so impressed by you told me all about TikTok and how helpful that's been for you and finding community. Like that is 2021 support systems out yeah. there, right? That's amazing. Yeah. It's also amazing that like people reach out. Like I put that content out without ever expecting people to reach out. And the fact that like, you know, you go from TikTok, you go all like way out of your way to find me on Instagram and DM me on Instagram to tell me that, you know, everything is going to be okay, or it might not be it. That's a different group. But like, I'm going through something similar. I've, you know, I'm a survivor of X. I'm here if you want to talk about it. It's yep. just so amazing. So if you're out there and you're Incredible. seeing content like this, reach out because it, it really makes like such a difference. Yeah. So we've kind of talked about how grievers can better communicate or if they have the capacity to um, facilitate the conversation with others about what they're going through. What are some things or some tips that you can give supporters to better show up for, for grievers? Yeah. So beyond the tangible concrete help that we discussed already, um, there is no totally right answer here, but mm -hmm. there are 
certainly wrong answers, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in general, hold back from giving advice. Usually you're... Yeah, oh up. my God. Amen. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. <laughs> I literally like today, I, I experienced this on the daily. Um, I went to the bank and my mom's like bank person is a close friend of hers. So obviously she feels entitled to comment on anything. And I feel like this is also just part of like Spanish, like Spanish culture. Um, but we were just talking about, you know, it's the first time she saw me since this whole thing happened. And I was kind of like, I'm in a, I am in a negative place at the moment. Like this week has been shit. And I was just kind of talking to her about, you know, I feel like, um, I'm really terrified of what, you know, the long-term prognosis of this can be, blah, 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 blah. And then I started talking about how I started to want to create like plans for the future in terms of like going to London to visit a friend and have things to like look forward to. And she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You are like thinking like way too far ahead. Like you are getting like super ahead of yourself. And I was like, what? <laughs> like She just started giving me her spiel about how she thought that I shouldn't be thinking about it this way. And I was like, it's so easy to say it sitting on that side of the chair of the table and not on this side of the table, like <laughs> try and get in my shoes. And, you know, so it's I, I relate to that so much. And it happens sadly on a daily basis. Um, I literally People before so we go to lunch. Judgment. Yeah. And they, so they just have so much judgment. opinion. Like nobody fucking yeah. cares what you think I should be thinking about my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Unless you've gone through something similar, and you've got something to help. Like, yeah point blank so thank you for that story that is uh that is very very common um and not particularly helpful um and also is suggesting um that the way that you're responding is wrong Mm -hmm. remember supporters the way that the griever is responding is not wrong everyone needs to be allowed to process the way they process Mm -hmm. and if you don't find what they're doing is helpful you still need to allow them that safe space. So hold back from giving advice. Hold back from trying to fix their pain. Refrain from forcing positivity down their throat, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. We need support, not comfort. We mm-hmm. always, in this culture, lean on comforting them. But that is not actually what we need. We need to be lifted up and we need to be held. right? So we need actual support. And stop worrying about saying the wrong thing so we end up saying nothing. Saying Mm -hmm. nothing is a terrible thing to do to your grieving person. It feels like abandonment. You've not only experienced loss, but now you feel like you're losing the people around you. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's really not helpful. And so really what effective support is, it's through open listening and accepting what they're saying and feeling and not trying to put any pressure on them to take those feelings away, right? So your job as a supporter isn't to make them feel happy. It's Mm -hmm. to make them feel heard. So really the most that you could do is letting people tell their truth about their pain. So that is my number one suggestion (laughs) is allow your grieving loved one to tell their truth because if they feel like you are diminishing the way that they feel or, you know, telling you that, oh, you're thinking way ahead, you shouldn't be doing this, they're going to stop coming to you. Mm-hmm. They're going to stop seeing you as a safe space to to communicate what they're going through. So yeah. that's not what you want to do as a supporter. 
A hundred percent. I actually want to talk about one of the best supporters I have and kind of give an example of a positive yeah. experience that I've had through this. Um, my best friend, Christina Cabada, big shout out. Um, she, without miss, she's messaged me every single day of me going through this. And when she came to visit me in Spain, I don't know if this was when she came to visit me in Spain or when we were talking on the phone, but chemo brain. Um, so <laughs> she, she asked me, she was like, you know, I want to check in with you every day and I'm asking you, Hey, like, how did you sleep? But you know, is that the right question for me to ask you? Like, I don't know if I should ask you, how are you feeling? Because I don't know if we should be talking about your physical feelings every single day. Um, so I think that that was the first conversation I ever had around, like tr really trying to explore how somebody could support me the best. Right. And I thought it was so amazing of her to even bring up that she was like, look, I really want to like support you, but I'm, you know, I'm trying this one and this one, which one do you like better? And I think it's like that, what you were talking about earlier of like giving options, you know? Um, yeah. And my response to her, which I don't know if, um, I guess there's no right or wrong on this, but I was like, I don't know, message me and I'll tell you <laughs> if I don't want to talk about yeah. something or if I want to talk about something. Um, but she's been like one of my strongest support systems throughout this. So I think that that's a great example of a way that you can reach out to somebody. Shout out to Christina. And um, a really common one that just comes to mind is um, grievers very often dread the everyday question, how are you? Oh my God, right? yes. You, you <laughs> want to be honest. Um, so something that can be helpful, again, everyone is different, but something that can be helpful is if you are a supporter, switching your question to how do you feel right now? Mm -hmm. How are you right now? So you create this kind of immediate presence because it does ebb and flow. You, I know that you have good moments. I know that you have bad moments, right? It's mm -hmm. not all bad, but if we say, how are you? Then you're going to think of the whole wider context of the situation that you're going through right now. So mm -hmm. it can be helpful to try and just drill it down to similar questions like, how did you sleep last night? Or how yeah. do you feel in this moment? Yeah. I love that. It's also like, you know, being on this end, like the, and also you as a griever, how many people are asking you, how are you? <laughs> you know, you can only answer the same question like 50 times a day and try not yes. to get confused with the answer. So I really yeah. like that, you know, tip on focusing on the moment. And it also helps the, at least it would help me to check in with myself in that very moment and be like, okay, mm -hmm. am I sad? I'm actually okay today. You know, like where I'm feeling good yeah. right now. And yeah. appreciate that moment. So I really right. love that. Beautiful. We can be, you know, as supporters, we can be a catalyst to help you notice a positive moment when mm -hmm. it, when you might have not noticed it. So now that we've talked about, you know, definitions, tips for either side, um, and the culture that we live in and how it's affecting the way that we think about grief, I think just bigger picture and taking a step back, why do you think it's so important to you know, have more conversations about this and know more about grief. Yeah. I believe it's critically important that we start changing our culture around these subjects, around grief, around death, around loss, right? Because, you know, as a society, we're often building walls between us and grievers. Their pain is too severe. Their context is too foreign for us to handle. And with this, grievers feel really alienated and alone, Right. Um, so this fact alone is enough to explain its importance. The people we love in their greatest time of need are feeling alone and oftentimes even worse because of their lack of support. 
And, you know, as we've identified earlier, like a vast majority of us really do care about the well-being of our loved ones and have good intentions. So really what we want is to successfully match your good intentions with your outward behavior. Now, kind of breaking this all down um, into why it's really important to understand more about what grief is, is because in order to truly hold space for someone, we need to allow ourselves to connect with that person and the reality of their experience. And in order to connect with others in pain, we have to find ways to have empathy for their experience. And empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. It's this wonderful, other-focused emotion that draws our attention towards someone else's experience, right? We're trying to understand your experience. Now, when we are empathetic successfully, we only have thoughts about ourselves to draw on how our experience may help us understand what someone else is going through. So to have empathy for someone, you don't actually have to have experienced what they've experienced. You just have to be able to connect to it somehow with similar feelings that you may have had. So really the key ways to achieve this is to help people understand that they themselves have experienced grief, whether they are big or small. A lot of people look at grievers and say, I've not lost someone. So how could I understand? Right? But we can counter this argument um, that you can't understand the reality of someone else experiencing grief by walking through and exploring the many experiences of grief that we have, have had in our lives. If you've experienced a divorce, if you've had a breakup before, if you have had an injury that stopped you from playing a particular sport or your vision of your life. You know, there's so many things. We have all experienced grief. Some of us have experienced bigger griefs than others. But this will help us be more empathetic, right? And then the other way to achieve this is break down grief into the wide array of emotions that it can trigger. So if you are human, you understand sadness. You have felt anger. Many of us have had anxiety about the future. So rather than just stopping at the word grief that a lot of people don't un actually understand, if we break it down into grief can trigger all these different types of emotions. My loved one is feeling anxious. Oh, I understand anxiety. So, you know, that is really, really helpful. And learning to understand grief better allows us to learn to hold space for others, which is a skill set that goes way beyond grief. Grief is big enough to explain why this is important, but to hold space for other people, that is a human skill, right? That is how we can show up in our community, right? This is how we can show up for all the pain in the world. Everyone you meet is going through something. So if you start recognizing how often you hear pain, you know that you need these skills. So it is so critically important. To go into the last point, and I, something that I know is super important to you, and the, you're the main reason, if not the only person I know, outside of Brene Brown, that I've heard talk about grief, or um, my closest person that I know that is so involved in this topic, and I know that you're also doing something yourself to you know, make sure that you can create safe spaces in a community for grievers. Um, would you like to talk about a little bit about your project and what it entails? So I have left the corporate world, um, which is a cool, exciting win, in my opinion. Um, 
and to follow um, a real passion project of mine. So I, I hope from this podcast, you can hear that I am passionate about this subject. Um, and I have created a group course that is called Supporting Others Through Loss and Grief. Um, it is a six-week course that actually starts next week after this recording. I, but I think that when this comes out, uh, it would have already started at least the first round of it. Um, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bridge the gap between grievers and their support systems. So as we've discussed here, there's so many walls that are built up um, by support systems and they don't mean to do that. And I'm welcoming in supporters to start understanding a little bit better about what grief actually is, how they can connect with those people, how they can actually build out empathy and how they can actually effectively show up. So I'm trying to build an army of better supporters um, for our many, many grieving loved ones around the world. So uh, I'm very, very excited. I love this. I feel like just like people do camps on how to be better at uh, emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. people should do courses like this, which is, you know, how to be better at grief, because yeah. um, it is just such a big part of our lives, as we're saying, and it's so overlooked. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for doing this. And all the information about this course will be linked in the podcast description. His Instagram will also be linked in the podcast description. So if you want to reach out and find out more information on how to sign up for the future yeah. programs that are happening, although there's already an active one, um, please do so. Yep, there will be much more to come. Um, I am also exploring one-on-one -on -one work uh, with um, particular people. If you are a griever, I can work with you one-on-one. -on -one. If you are a supporter, I can work with you one-on-one. -on -one. And then also, I imagine I will be having more of these group courses. So this is just the beginning. And my Instagram has basically no content on it yet. There's only so many things I can do. Um, <laughs> so you have reached the right... Maybe when this airs, there'll be more. Yes, <laughs> so maybe, don't set maybe. Yourself up we'll see, there. we'll see, we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, so please do follow me and please do reach out. Um, I would love to connect. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And thank you, James, for joining us for this episode. You can find all the resources that we've mentioned um, throughout the episode in the podcast description. And please also follow us on Instagram at Sick of Being Sick Podcast to see what's coming up. If you or anyone you know would like to share their story on the podcast, Please reach out to me via the email on the episode description or the show description and um, you're more than welcome to come share your story. If you'd like to write a letter, um, if you don't want to come in, you can also write a letter and I'll read it at the end of the next episode. <laughs>